Reckless but not violent, the Supreme Court gives the Armed Career Criminal Act an update in a recent decision, but where does that leave state criminal laws? Professor Douglas Berman from the Ohio State University Moritz College of Law returns to do so much law explaining. I'm Lawrence Gleddy, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for tuning in. It's always great being here with you. We're going to jump right into our show. But first, thank you, Noda. Noda's powered by MIT Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. How true? How true? Take advantage of Noda, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit trustnoda.com forward slash legal to learn more. And that's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And remember, terms and conditions may apply. Okay, let's say hello to our return guest, Professor Douglas Berman from the Ohio State University Moritz College of Law. Welcome back, Professor. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think uh, the last time we had you on, it was uh, uh, mid-November and we had a post-election conversation about marijuana laws that, that had been voted in during the 2020 election. The episode is titled Weed Ballots and the Constitution. And so uh, pretty apt title because that's kind of the things uh, that's kind of the topics that uh, we talked about. But I'll put a link to that in our show notes. But thank you so much for joining us to talk about this case. And of course, uh, Professor, today we're talking about Borden versus United States. And this is a Supreme Court case, which uh, flushes out some details on the Armed Career Criminal Act, uh, which is an act that provides certain sentence enhancements for uh, criminal defendants if they commit certain types of crime in a certain quantity. So let's use that as our first uh, stopping point along our journey today. This Armed Career Criminal Act, you know, tell us how does it work? What does it do? What's the purpose behind it? Sure. Well, uh, this is in federal law and it's a federal statute that has a really dramatic impact on how we sentence a felon who's in possession of a firearm if and whenever they have a particularly extensive criminal background, but the crimes have to fit certain descriptions, have to be a certain kind of quote-unquote violent felony or a certain kind of serious drug offense. And the dramatic nature of the sentence increase, specifically the crime of felon in possession under federal law has a 10-year maximum sentence unless somebody qualifies to be an armed career criminal under this act, at which point they are subject to a 15-year minimum federal prison sentence. And that's why there's been an enormous amount of litigation over the prior offenses that can be predicates for coming within the Armed Career Criminal Act statute, because it really, you know, oftentimes more than doubles your sentence. And in, in particular, it means a judge has to sentence a defendant with the wrong kind of criminal history to at least 15 years simply for the act of, of possessing a firearm. Now, I just want a quick clarification there. So no, we're not talking like 15 years added on to a pre-existing sentence. We're talking about raising that sentence from say what you just said, 10 years to 15 years total, correct? That's exactly right. And the backstory here is Congress heard from states back in the 80s saying they were struggling to give long enough sentence to repeat offenders, particularly sort of serious career criminals, to use the language of, of the, the, the statute. And so Congress passed this statute designed to get at the most serious type of offenders, but fundamentally the offense that brings them into the federal system is simply possessing a firearm illegally because federal law has this blanket prohibition against firearm possession if you have a felony record. Okay, let's pivot to the Borden versus United States case. So just a quick flyby of the facts, and then that'll give us some context for our uh, our oncoming uh, conversation here. 
Sure. This sort of happens like a lot of cases under the Armed Career Criminal Act. Borden was picked up at a traffic stop, uh, had a firearm in his possession. Uh, he was wanted on an arrest warrant for a, a variety of prior offenses. And so as they ran his background, they saw he had a felony conviction under Tennessee law. That meant he was violating federal law. But as I mentioned before, if he didn't have a particularly severe set of prior offenses, he'd only be subject to a 10-year maximum for illegally possessing a firearm as a felon. But if his prior convictions under Tennessee law, mostly for assault, were at least three that qualified as violent felonies, then he's subject to a 15-year mandatory minimum. And the federal government said, yes, he's got three prior aggravated assaults that we think qualify under the Armed Career Criminal Act. He said, no, 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 not so fast. One of them doesn't qualify. Uh, and like I said, there's literally a decade, perhaps more, at issue for how he will be sentenced based on whether or not those prior convictions qualify as violent felonies under the Armed Career Criminal Act. Now, the lower courts disagreed with the criminal defendant in this case, but the Supreme Court reversed on its decision. So can you walk us through the majority opinion? Sure. And, and there's an important background that goes to the history of litigation over what prior offenses qualify as predicates for this enhanced 15-year mandatory minimum under the Armed Career Criminal Act. Specifically, and this is somewhat counterintuitive, we don't actually look at the crimes that the defendant committed in the past. We just look at the exact details of the conviction that they had. And the thinking here is we don't want this new conviction, this new prosecution and sentencing to be all about litigating the disputed facts of the past. We're going to look just at what you were convicted of and then decide whether the generic offense the basic offense of conviction qualifies as a violent felony. And what was at issue in Borden, what's been dividing lower courts for a while, is what if it's an offense that involves the use of violence? That's the exact language. I want to get this exactly right, right? It's considered a violent offense under the Armed Career Criminal Act if it involves the use of physical force against the person of another. And then again, remember, we're not going to look at the actual facts of what Borden did that led to his prior convictions. We're going to look at what he was convicted of. And that issue was this Tennessee statute in one of his assaults that he was convicted of allowed for a conviction for reckless assault rather than knowing or intentional assault. And the way I would describe it to my students is, you know, he could possibly be convicted under the statute for just risking violence rather than intending to cause a violent encounter with another person. And that's divided the lower courts over whether a reckless offense, and again, it's not what he actually did, it's what he was convicted of. If it includes recklessness, does that bring it into the ambit of being the kind of violent offense that triggers these severe sentences? And ultimately, the majority of the Supreme Court said, no, we don't think this statute, the statute that elevates sentences so extremely, and that was designed to get at, in a sense, the worst of the worst prior violent offenders. We don't think it should cover offenses that can be satisfied by merely a reckless mental state rather than intentional or purposeful or knowing causing a violence. And the dissent says, wait a minute, it's still a violent offense. What are we talking about here? Uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be parsing this with this level of particularity. If it's a kind of assaultive kind of activity, uh, we ought not say that just because it could possibly be satisfied by a reckless mens re rather than a higher mens re, that that doesn't bring it within the kind of serious prior offenses that Congress was trying to address through this Armed Career Criminal Act. Now, to uh, 
Justice Kavanaugh's uh, dissent here. Now, I think this, you're, this is the point you're kind of alluding to. He, he carved out like two different types of offense. And so he talked about, you know, let's say there's one where someone ends up dead. So you've got second degree murder or manslaughter. Someone ends up dead. So obviously very sad, very serious. It's something we want to avoid. But the result of that, of that series of crimes there is death. Whereas like a threat or an attempt, which did not result in a death, you know, lesser, lesser consequence, that would get you the sentence enhancing, but not the death crime. So was that the point he was trying to make? What, what did you think about, uh, I guess, what did you think about that part of the dissent? Well, at the core of all of this, and it's, it's really federal law layered on top of complicated you know, state law layered on top of criminal law, which is never quite sure whether the results should matter most or the intent should matter most, right? And so that's what Judge Justice Kavanaugh is getting to. Hey, if you have a really violent result, right? And he was imagining somebody and he describes, you know, really reckless driving where people drive into crowds. Maybe they didn't intend to hurt anybody, but ultimately a lot of people get hurt. That seems like the kind of violent behavior that we might think Congress meant to pick up with this statute as opposed to somebody who might, you know, talk a big game, attempt to use violence or threaten a lot of people, but never actually cause any harm. If you look at those two cases, Justice Kavanaugh is saying, shouldn't we be worried about the person who actually produces violent results, uh, regardless of whether they perfectly intended, as long as they at least knew they were risking that, right? That's the key of this idea of recklessness, that you at least are consciously aware that you're creating a serious risk. And the backdrop here, and there is so much litigation over how to parse out the different possible statutes uh, or applicable statutes for for the Armed Career Criminal Act. Uh, the Supreme Court a while ago said drunk driving shouldn't be considered a violent felony because most drunk drivers are just negligent. They're not even aware uh, of how much risk they're creating. That's not what Congress meant to pick up with this kind of statute. And of course, that's a very common crime that a lot of people may have on their records. And we don't think of them as you know, an armed career criminal. And so how we get to that in the particulars of this case, when now we're talking about assaults, not driving per se, um, is why the majority in dissent have very different views about what we think or what they think Congress had in mind when they increased sentences so dramatically, again, for the underlying crime of just gun possession, right? We're really fighting over past crimes and how that should influence how we treat this now kind of undisputed current crime of simply possessing a gun when you're not supposed to. Yeah, I want to I want to uh, just address one more time the important uh, the importance of intent behind this. And so, you know, you've got violent offenses and you have reckless offenses like the ones we just talked about here. And let's say that again, I'm bringing death back into the equation, but let's say it's a violent offense versus a reckless offense. You still have someone dead, which is what we're trying to avoid. It's very sad, very tragic, but intention matters here. So, you know, take us through that a little bit. And this kind of gets into the common sense element of our of our criminal law statutes. And so tell us why intention is so important and how that kind of carries through, it sort of cascades through these state into federal laws. Sure. Well, you know, most fundamentally, we all are creating risks all the time, right? Whether it's when we go driving, whether it's, uh, you know, we play sports, we do all sorts of things where we don't intend to hurt other people, but it's possible that people will get hurt if risks play out poorly. And we generally don't think simply creating risks makes somebody a criminal, or at the very least, we don't think simply creating risks makes somebody the worst kind of criminal. We think the worst kinds of criminals are those who intend to cause harm or are you know, very consciously focused on creating victims or, or being involved in mischief. And so that distinction between kind of knowingly creating risks 
which just we know we do all the time, and then intentionally creating harm, you know, plays a critical role in all of our applications of criminal law, though it comes to two levels when we get to a statute like this. One is, okay, that's important, but we still think some people are criminals if they create especially bad risks, and especially if those risks, like you're mentioning, you know, might lead to death or other kinds of terrible consequences, we still want to punish those folks. And then there's the next question, which this case involves, which the Armed Career Criminal Act brings up. Okay, not only do we want to punish them for their original risk creation, but do we think that risky behavior maybe makes them a more dangerous person generally, and that are other laws that are designed to get at danger? And that's really what the Armed Career Criminal Act is, right? There's nothing uniquely harmful about a person with a felony record having access to a gun unless we're worried that person is going to go do something very dangerous with it. And the idea behind a lot of our statutes is to try to sort of cut off that risk at the conduct level. Well, how do we then layer that on top of each other? Is a person who did a risky assault and got in trouble for that under state law, are they the type of person we especially want to hammer with a federal law that's all about risky possession of guns? Or do we think, no, at some point we got to say enough is enough. And I certainly think the majority was very driven by here we're talking about a 15-year sentence. We're not talking about whether somebody's a criminal at all. Borden is clearly a criminal, and he's subject to at least 10 years of imprisonment under federal law. At issue is just, should he really get super hammered with a 15-year mandatory minimum? Because he's one of the worst of the worst who's now possessing a gun. And so how, again, we parse out risk creation versus intentional harm, and then how that carries forward to how we then address future activity by a former offender all of that is is intertwined in this case. Well, we've just got a, a minute or two left, but I do want to get uh, two more questions into the mix here. And so, you know, you, you were just talking about sort of that uh, there's sort of a shady degrees of um, recklessness there, you know, the, the different shades of gray is what I'm trying to say. Um, but they're trying to make a bright line rule here as to when to apply uh, recklessness. And so I think it's really interesting because it's tough, you know, when you start talking about intent and the example you use is driving into the crowd, you know, yes, very reckless decision, um, but that has matters of degree. And so one of articles I read that I thought was pretty interesting that talked about this um, was written by Carla LaRoque or Carla LaRoche. And I apologize, Carla, if I'm pronouncing your last name incorrectly. But uh, the article is a SCOTUS blog article titled No Sentencing Enhancements for Recklessness Convictions Under Federal Armed Career Criminal Act. And one of the, the points that she made is because this decision carved out reckless, uh, you know, reckless elements for felonies uh, under the sentence enhancement means that there's going to be a follow-up case to basically include extreme recklessness. So if you're just regular garden variety reckless, you're not going to get the sentence enhancement. But if you're extremely reckless, you might. So what do you think about that? Does this case automatically probably guarantee another bite at the apple in the Supreme Court? I certainly think they reserve that issue and that and a variety of applications of Borden are going to keep coming up. We've seen dozens of Armed Career Criminal Act cases come. Every variation of the complicated issues of what's a violent felony, what's a drug felony. And especially because, as I think that article is highlighting, there's a history of our criminal laws treating extreme recklessness even more severely than just regular recklessness. And the most obvious example of this is under our homicide laws, generally uh, what we sometimes call depraved heart recklessness or extreme recklessness is the sort of the label given to it by the model penal code. We treat that as murder rather than just manslaughter. And I think it's definitely right that there will be some past convictions that are on that line of extreme recklessness that the court will struggle with 
especially because it reserved the question here uh, in some future cases. All right, last question here, and this is the one that uh, really drove me to put this topic into a podcast here. And so, when I when I was looking at the federal uh, this federal act, and I was thinking about the state laws, you know, there are nuances between the different criminal codes in different states. There's also a difference in how district attorneys enforce the law. And so, I guess with all that factored in, this potential of the Armed Career Criminal Act in terms of uneven application is uh, is there. And so, is that something that's fair? Is that something that's constitutional? What do you make of that? Well, there, there is so much kind of latent disparity that drives all of these cases because fundamentally when prior convictions are being charged and pled and, and sorted out, there's no district attorney that's thinking, well, maybe years later, this guy will be federally prosecuted and I got to make sure the record reflects that this was a violent offense as defined by complicated federal law, right? There's just not that level of foresight and there shouldn't be, right? They should just be resolving the cases in front of them. So one of the things that I think the jurisprudence here has struggled with is the reality that every case gets adjudicated by virtue of an unpredictable mix of discretion and a range of other factors under state law. And necessarily federal law has to kind of take that as it's given and try to make the most of it. Does that mean we have disparity? Absolutely. Does that mean we've got to change the way we approach this? Probably. I think, again, the biggest problem is we've got this extreme mandatory minimum that so elevates the available punishments based on these sort of precise definitions of prior offenses that may not really even reflect uh, what the defendant actually did. And so I think there are much healthier ways to approach these issues, but I also don't think that there's sort of a magic bullet sort of solution. We, we struggle with discretion and disparity throughout all areas of our sentencing law. And so I think we can do better. Uh, I wish Congress would actually try to fix the Armed Career Criminal Act. The number of justices have been urging that for many, many years, so they don't have to sort these kinds of questions. Uh, but ultimately, there are going to be hard questions about just how much weight to give to prior offenses, no matter how we try to structure this law. Well, Professor, thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you focusing on this issue. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you like today's episode, please give it as many stars as the law will allow in your favorite podcasting app. And one more thank you to our sponsor, Noda. You can find them at trustnoda.com forward slash legal. And that's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And last but never least, thank you to our team, producer Molly McDonough and our LTN audio crew for keeping the podcast machine running. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 